John 15, 1 through 11 says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, my, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. What a great service. I mean, we did it all. We even did some bluegrass today. <laughs> now, how many of you are into bluegrass? Come on, be honest. Okay. There's a few bluegrass folk in the room. That's good. I enjoyed that. That was a blessing to me. Kind of neat to hear a banjo. And uh, some of you have other instruments that you play, like uh, maybe uh, a violin, a cello, uh, we, we, would, we would utilize those abilities if you would let us know about it and if you have a, a sense of desire to, to serve. We're, we're, there's so many ways to worship God with song, and using various instruments can be such an encouragement. And uh, so you ought to think about that. I, I want you to take, if you haven't already turned to John 15, I really felt a sense from the Spirit of God to focus in on this wonderful passage that Jesus gives. And I, and I want to share with you right out of the gate, I want to just lay the foundation of what this passage is in relationship to the rest of the Gospel of John, and then we'll break down this particular passage that we just read. In the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus it's recorded that Jesus made seven statements about himself, about his ministry, and our response to the statements. Each one is something very specific. In each of these statements or these proclamations in John's gospel, it begins with, I am. Now, one more thing to understand. These I am statements that Jesus gives us link back to the Old Testament. There's a contrast that's given. What Jesus says, I am, is the contrast, whatever that metaphor is, is contrasted to the Old Testament and a story or a truth that was given in the Old Testament. It's another way that Jesus is sharing with us that he is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so let me just quickly take you through the six I am statements that literally come before chapter 15. The seventh and final statement is John 15 that we're going to look at. But let's look at these others. First, he says, I am the bread of life. That's in John 6, 35. He also says it in verse 41, verse 48, and verse 51. He made this statement right after feeding the 5,000 men and we don't know exactly how many women and children, but probably in the neighborhood of fifteen to 20,000 people. So right on the heel of feeding all the people, Jesus makes this statement. 
And he says, he basically is saying that he is the bread of life. You eat of him, not five loaves and two fishes, but if you eat of me spiritually, you will never thirst again for all eternity. And, and so where in the Old Testament, the connection with these I am statements, it all started when God said to Moses, uh, when Moses said, who will I say sent me? And he said, you say, I am who I am sent you. The God who is eternal sent you. And, and that's how God moved in the Old Testament, by declaring himself to be I am. And now Jesus, who is also deity and is making a, pronounce, he's making a pronouncement, I am, and the first I am is I am the bread of life. He actually said, our ancestors ate of the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. So he's saying, okay, Manna served a purpose, but it couldn't keep you alive. I am the bread of life and eternity. I can keep you alive for eternity. Now, I am the light of the world. That's the second one. It's in John chapter 8, verse 12, and John chapter 9, verse 5. This second command of Jesus stating that he is the light of the world. He's not only saying that he is the light, he actually proves it because he said... Uh, words that echo Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 and God said let there be light and there was light now he was speaking of creation right he's speaking of the sun he's speaking of the moon by night the sun by day Jesus is greater than the sun and the moon he is the light of the world he is the one who illuminates from the inside not from the outside and that illumination changes us, transforms us, and makes us witnesses for Christ in this world. So he is the light of the world. The third statement is, I am the door. That's in John chapter 10, verse 7 and verse 9. I am the door. This one stresses that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you can only come through the door. And Jesus uses this metaphor of a sheep fold, that there's only one door. The only way into the sheepfold is through the door. And he says, I am the door. He said in, in verse 1 of, of John 10, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There is no other way to come into the fold. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Then, then the next statement is, I am the good shepherd. That's John chapter 10, verse 11 and, and, and verse 14. And with this I am statement, Jesus portrays himself as this great, loving, and caring God. It's interesting. He's the one who is willing to protect the sheep from the wolves. When Jesus called himself the good shepherd, he unmistakably took for himself one of God's titles in the Old Testament. What title is that? Psalm 23, verse 1, the very first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my... And Jesus is now saying, I am God. I am the shepherd. I am the one that will lovingly lay down my life to protect the sheep. And then there's the I am, the resurrection, and the life pronouncement. That's in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus made this I am statement immediately before he raises Lazarus from the dead after four days. So he, again, the contrast is what I'm about to do is prove to you that I am God. Interestingly, we see Jesus teaching that he's not just empty talk, he made a claim, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he proved it. He proved it. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, uh, it clearly tells us that Jesus holds the keys to death and hell and the grave. Apart from Jesus, 
there is neither resurrection nor is there life. He's it. And then the next one, which is the one before John 15, it's in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. All seven of these tell us that Jesus is God. It's his way of telling us, I am God. Now he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this powerful I am statement, it is so packed with meaning. Jesus is not merely one way among many to God. He is the only way. You know, somebody, if you say to someone, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they say, do you really believe that he's the only way to God? I mean, don't you think there's other ways to God? What makes Jesus so special? Why do you put him on a pedestal? And, and why would you believe that, that he's the only way to God? And the answer is very simple to that person. You lovingly, humbly say back to them, I didn't say it. He did. You're giving him credit for being this great man, but he didn't say he was a great man. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father in heaven except through me. He said that. Now that changes everything in that person. They have to now consider the fact that this is not something that you're, this is not your opinion. This is what Jesus claimed. He claimed to be God. So we look at all of these, and they're really exciting and powerful. But really, I, I want to look at the last one today, the final I am statement. That's a long introduction, isn't it? Uh, but we're here now, so let's lock in. If you, want to have, if you have notes, you'd like to take, get a pen out, get ready, because here we go. Jesus makes it very clear to us in John 15, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. This final I am statement in the Gospel of John emphasizes the sustaining power of Christ in the life of a believer. I couldn't think of a better message to proclaim on the last day of 2023 and on the day prior to 2024. If there's any takeaway, if there's any priority that we should make, and I know we have a lot of good intentions coming into a new year, New Year's resolutions out the wazoo, I'm telling you right now, this is the priority for any true disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to give you three points this morning out of the text that was given us, John 15, 1 through 11. The first point is true disciples, true disciples bear fruit. Write that down if you will. True disciples bear fruit. If you tell me this morning, I am a follower of Jesus. I am saved. I've been converted. I was born again. If you're telling me that, I'm telling you by the word of God, then you are bearing fruit in your life. You're bearing fruit. And we'll talk about what bearing fruit is. But right out of the gate, look what he says. I am the true vine. That's Jesus. I am the true vine. There's no other vine that you want to attach yourself to because there's no other vine that can give you life. There's no other way to live. You have to be attached to the true vine. I've got a strawberry tree in my yard. You're going, strawberry tree? Okay, what's, come on, that's silly. No, really, it's called a strawberry tree. It's a small tree that grows and it has a berry on it. And the berry tastes nothing like strawberry. So now you're going to wonder, why do they call it a strawberry tree? And the answer is, I don't know why. But if you eat that little berry, it literally tastes like cotton candy. So I put a strawberry tree right next to the playground, the playhouse, at our, in our backyard in the corner of the yard. So when the grandkids come over and they're playing out there, going down the slide, swinging and all that stuff, they can just reach over and grab a berry off the strawberry tree, and it's like having cotton candy. Pretty cool. When I got it, it had three different beautiful branches that came off of the trunk. It was a small tree about like this. Now it's about like this. 
but now it has one branch, not three. And one reason is because one time, I won't say who, but somebody was mowing my yard and they accidentally hit the branch and the branches are fragile. And it literally, it, it, it broke and it's hanging there. And I tried to repair it. I tried to graft it back. Guess what? It died. It withered and died. Why? Because it was no longer attached to the trunk. Without it being attached to the trunk, it cannot live on its own. The other branch that's missing now, I don't know how it happened. I go out there in my golf cart looking at the tree, and I see one of my two remaining branches just hanging, and it's brown. And I'm like, what happened? And I'm thinking it's these cotton-picking little convict squirrels in my yard. I, probably not the squirrels, but you've got to blame somebody. You cannot be a true disciple of Christ without being connected to the vine. The life is in the vine. You're entering a new year. You do not, as a true disciple, want to miss out on the vine. You want to be in the vine. Amen? So... Let me take you on a little journey here. That very first statement that to be a true disciple is to, be, is to bear fruit, that's how God set things up in the beginning. In Genesis, he said to Adam and Eve after he made them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. But it's not just a foundation for creation, it's a foundation for redemption. Once you are saved by God and you are now in Christ, there is a purpose in your salvation. There's several purposes. One of them is that you would bear fruit. It's part of who you are. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And he sees, says that the sower goes out with a seed bag, and he reaches into the bag, grabs the seed, which, Jesus said, is the word of God. So the truth of the word is what the seed is in that metaphor. And he says he takes and he casts. In fact, the word in the original is he broadcasts. It's the first time we see the word broadcast being used, you know rather than a radio station. No, he broadcasts the seed, meaning you don't be, you're not specific, you're not targeting a particular place or person to get the seed. A sower's job is not to be particular and only go over here and put a little seed and let me look, oh, oh over here, I'll put a little seed. No, he says he just does this. He broadcasts. He throws it everywhere. And then there are those who, at first, in their heart, they hear the word, and they get excited. And they, they say, oh, yes, I want that. That's salvation. It's a free, free gift. I love free things. Yes, I want salvation. But it never takes root. It's not connected to anything that is life-bearing. And it eventually dies out. Those people, the first three of the four types of people that that parable describes have hearts that are unsaved. Even though two of the three look as if they are saved at first. But it's the cares of the world. It's the money that they now manage because they've made a little money. Those things keep them from allowing the seed to take root. And they're unable to bear fruit. They're not saved. The only one that's saved is the one where the seed falls on fertile soil. What is fertile soil? Fertile soil is a heart that has been completely broken before God 
recognizing sin for what it is and not being able to change myself, not being good enough to earn God's salvation, but I am broken over my sinfulness. Blessed is the, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's this purity of heart. I want God to touch me, to change me, to transform me. I'm open to whatever he wants. That's a fertile soil. And guess what Jesus said at the end? He says when the seed falls on that soil, it takes root. It takes root in the word. It takes root in Christ. And guess what happens? It bears, Jesus said, some bears a hundredfold. That's fruit bearing. Some bear 60-fold, some 30-fold. But all true disciples bear fruit. This is the way it was in creation that God set up, and this is the way it is after you're saved. You are to bear fruit, bearing fruit. And then he says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away in every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, we're not going to go there yet. Let's hold on that. But let's get to the next part, point number two. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here it is, verse four. Abide in me and I in you. Listen, as you, as you abide in Christ, as, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By the way, let me clarify that. When it says, apart from me, you can do nothing, it, it, it doesn't mean nothing at all. There are a lot of worldly people who are doing a lot of things. They're doing something. But here's what they cannot do. He, Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing that has eternal value. As you enter 2024 as a disciple of Christ, you want to set your heart on abiding in Christ so that you can bear much fruit for Christ, for the kingdom of God. Amen? This is what it's about. This is what we should be about. What does it mean to abide? It means to have a daily, continual relationship with Jesus. It's a, a relationship that is filled with trust. I'm hoping in Christ. I'm trusting Christ. I've come into a problem in my life, but I'm going to... Even though I can't see my way out, I'm not walking by what I see. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to uh, uh, be obedient to what the Word of God, this is the life, this is where I find life, in the Word of God. So I'm going to spend time in the Word, and I'm going to obey the Word. I'm going to spend time with Jesus, worshiping Him. I I'm, I'm going to find even in the difficult days of my life in 2024, I'm going to find joy. Because joy, according to the scripture, has nothing to do with external circumstances. Joy comes from within. You have joy when you have Christ. And when you are truly a disciple, you are in the vine. And every day that you live, you live for the vine. You live for what Christ has to say. You live for his word. You obey his word. You trust his word. You celebrate his word. You share his word. This ought to be our focus. This is the priority of any true disciple coming into 2024. I want to grow closer in my relationship to Jesus. There's only one way to do that. It's not by changing the lights and putting colored lights, and it's not by a smoke machine in the corner of your room. It's, it's not by just listening to music. Listen, you grow closer to Jesus by spending more time with Jesus. No other way. That's how you grow, is by the time you spend with him. You say, how do I spend time with him? 
First and foremost, get into his word. Because the Bible says that he is the logos. He is the word. His word is life for you. Jesus doesn't want you being a beggar under the table looking for a scrap every once in a while. He sets before you this. This is like, if you want a metaphor, this represents a huge table that is just chucked full of every kind of food that you love. It's got all those good casseroles. It's got that turkey. It's got that steak down here, and it's got some, you know, everything you like. It's got mashed potatoes and gravy. It's got all these good vegetables that have been grilled. It's got some apple pie, amen. Somebody said it before I could get it out. You see, you're, you're tracking with me here. It's got all the good stuff. And the Lord says, don't sit under the table and hope somebody will throw you a bone. You sit at the table. You belong to me. You've been grafted in. You are my child and in you there is life because you are attached to the vine, Christ. And look what my Lord has put before us. This is what he wants me to feast on every day in 2024. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 121. Psalm 121. This whole idea of abiding in Christ. What does that mean, to abide in Christ, because this is what we're after. This is the goal for each true believer. If you're not a true believer, you're not going to really care about abiding. You're going to go have a little bit of Jesus in with all these other things. He's like a spoke on your wheel, okay? He's just a spoke, but you got a lot of spokes. So you're into a lot of things. No, no. For a true believer, Jesus is not a spoke, he's the hub. You might have other interests and other things that you're committed to, like your family, your job, and all these other things. That's okay. But the hub, what holds it together, what feeds, what strengthens each spoke is Christ. And there are some spokes that he wants removed from your wheel going into 2024 because they're not helping you. They're hurting you. And he wants to strengthen you. So in 121, this is an interesting uh, psalm. It's a song. And I want you to see this. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, uh, there, are some, there are some scholars, there are some uh, theologians who believe this particular song was sung by the Israelites, by the Jews, as they would make the annual track all the way to Jerusalem for the great feast. Maybe they were going for the uh, feast of Passover, maybe they were going for the feast of Pentecost, Maybe it was in the fall and they were going for the Feast of Tabernacles. But when it says here, one of the clues is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Jerusalem, no matter what direction you're coming from, Jerusalem is up. Not because it's higher than the mountains to the north like Hermon, but because you're going to go down off the mountain in the north, go south, and then to get to Jerusalem to, to go to the temple, you got to go up to the mount. No matter what direction, you're going to go up. So they're thinking that this is probably a song that gave confidence to the Jews who were traveling great distance each and every year, sometimes three times a year, to Jerusalem. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. In other words, he's not going to let your foot slip off the side of a, of a cleft. He who keeps you will not slumber. Never will there be a time while you're traveling, as you're going through life, that God is sleeping. Never. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. 
the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Go back, if you will. I want you to see this with me. He will not let your foot be moved. He keeps you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. It, it's, got the, it's got the idea of abiding. You are abiding in the Lord. Now go to Psalm 91, please. Go back just 10 Psalms here. Psalm 91, I want you to see this one. This is a psalm of protection, but also of confidence. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. What's under the shelter? Shade. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide. There's that word again. In the what? In the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I will sing that God is my refuge and my fortress. He is the one in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings. What's under the wing? Shelter, shade. You will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. By the way, did he say that you won't have any arrows that fly by day? You won't have any terror at night? He did not say that. Basically, you will. You just don't fear it. You're going to have some setbacks in 2024, guaranteed. It doesn't go from 2023 where you have one misstep after another or one issue after another and all these problems that pile up. And then all of a sudden in 24, it's just a whole different, uh, it's just like, you know, entering into the, the, the Emerald City. Uh, no. But when you abide in Christ, these promises... These are wonderful things to consider. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. By the way, on Judgment Day, you're going to see the thousands and the tens of thousands that are going straight to hell. You will witness that. They will be thrown into an eternal fire. But not you. Not if you are truly a disciple of Christ. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Ooh. Now we get a picture of what abide might really mean. What's the idea of abiding? It's a place of dwelling. To abide is to abode. It's a habitat. In 2024, as a true disciple, God is calling you to make him your habitat. When I abide in him, I've made him my place of residence. Throughout the day, into the night, I'm always reminded, I'm always thinking, I'm always studying and realizing just how much I have in Christ. It doesn't matter what trial I face, Christ is with me. When you abide, you are in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. In my God do I trust. And you go through 2024 that way. Uh, if I can, Scotty, can you help me? Um, hand me a couple of the chairs, those empty chairs next to you over there. Uh, Brent, can you give me a couple chairs too? Just, just one more. Thank you. Okay, and Brent over here, 
Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. We don't have any boys in our room right now that uh, probably would feel comfortable. I'd love to have just a boy come up, but um, that's okay. I want you to think of these, these chairs as bear traps. If you step on that, it will break your, it'll snap your leg. I don't know if you've ever seen a real bear trap, but man, those things, they don't play. And so uh, give me one of the men. Paul, can you come up just for a second? Paul's like, man, why did you call on me, Pastor Greg? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um, just come on up on the platform if you would. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, buddy. Stand right over there on the other side of that. Step back about three feet. Okay, so how, what does it look like when I abide in Christ? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. This is not how God works in relationship to you if you're connected to the vine and you're abiding. God's not over here and Paul being blindfolded and he's saying, okay, Paul, take a couple steps forward. Um, okay, maybe just another half step. Okay, go on. A, okay, stop. Uh, now go to the left. Uh, one step to the left. Now come. That's not how the Lord works. Neither. Let's go back, Paul. Thank you. Let's go back. Neither is the Lord doing this, standing behind you, and saying, "Okay, go ahead and take a couple, three, four steps forward. I'll tell you when to stop." Okay, right there. Stop. Stop. Okay, now go to the left a little bit. That is not abiding. That is hoping that God is with you. And that is you on your own. In both of those scenarios, you are on your own. Come on back, Paul. Now, Paul, as a true disciple, is abiding in Christ. He is in the word daily. He is trusting God. He's believing the promises of the word. He's obeying them. He is walking in Christ. And because he's abiding, he's connected to the true vine, God is right with him. And it says that you will dwell, you will abide, you will make your habitat in the shadow of the Almighty. So it looks like this. Paul, if you'll look down, because the sun is just right here. It's up kind of high. It's not at 12 noon. It's not right above me. It's just out in front of me a little bit. So it casts just a small, a small shadow behind me. And I want you to keep your focus on my shadow, on me. And I'll take you through the bear traps. Stay with me. Stay in the shadow. Don't leave my shadow. Let's go through this thing together. That is what it looks like. Thanks so much, Paul. That's what it looks like to abide God is not out in front of you yelling back to you. He's not behind you trying to encourage you. He is with you in your problem. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if you're a person who says you're, you're a disciple, that you're saved, but there's no fruit coming up in your life because you're in and out. Jesus is simply a spoke on your wheel. And there's some Sundays that you feel like going to church and let that spoke kind of shine for that day. But then I'm right back to all my other spokes, and I'm going to just let Jesus be one of them. You'll never know what it is to walk in the shadow of the Almighty. You'll never know what it is to practice these wonderful, marvelous truths of God's Word. You've got to obey them. You've got to be in them. You've got to know them. Because Christ is the word. And you need to abide. You need to make him your life. The third point. The first point was about a true disciple bears fruit. The second point is a true disciple will abide in Christ continually. The third point. Those who are true disciples will be pruned by the Father. True disciples are pruned by the Father. I want you to see it with me. Go back to our text here real quick. And let's look together at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So if you're not bearing fruit, he takes it away. What does he do? He throws it on a trash pile. And he lets it go ahead and wither up real good till it's just dry. And then he sets it on fire. That is a picture of a person who looked like at first they were saved. But they weren't saved. How do we know they weren't saved? They never bore fruit. This is what God's telling us. And so God takes what looks to be fruit or looks to be a branch that's in the vine, but because it doesn't bear fruit, he takes it and he throws it over here, and eventually it's burned. It's completely destroyed. But the, look now what he said. But every branch that does bear fruit, true disciples, he prunes for what purpose? that it might bear more fruit. You went through 2023, and if you're like most people, there were some struggles in 2023. Some of you had some really big struggles. I know because as your pastor, as one of the shepherds of the flock, I know what you went through. We prayed together. We talked many times about it. Others of you have gone through problems in 23. And maybe some of you are looking at 23 and going, man, that was a t complete train wreck. I don't ever want to go through another year like that. I can't handle another year like that. That's a clear indicator that you were not going through the trials in the shadow of God. A true believer can have a bad year and says, I don't care if it's a good year or bad year coming up. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to walk in his shadow. He will get me through anything. I'll still bear fruit. Even in a bad year, I'll bear fruit. And so here you are. You're, you're saved. You're a true disciple. You're connected to the vine. You're bearing fruit. And God, the vine dresser, comes along and he starts cutting. He prunes you. I wish I could remember who told this to me, and I believe it is true. Somewhere in Europe, in France or somewhere, there's an area that has a lot of vineyards, and the people of that region who own the vineyards have a rule. The rule is this. Every year after season, when it's time to prune the vines, some branches are raised off the ground, others are cut. They cut them back. The rule in that community, in that region is no owner of a vine is allowed to prune his own vines. He has to prune his neighbor's vines. And another neighbor prunes his vines. You know why? Because if the pruning was left to you and I, we would never prune deep enough. If we could pick the kind of year we want in 2024, in your imagination, what would that look like? It would look like a fairy tale. So far from the truth, but you would make it as easy as you possibly could for yourself. God looks at 2024 and he says, I can see that I've got a true disciple that's been bearing fruit in 2023. I can't wait to put the shears to that disciple. We're going to do some good pruning for one reason. Because that disciple, if they'll abide in me as I prune, they will grow. They will mature. They will know more about the word after the experience than before. And they will bear more fruit in 2024. Some of us are thinking, well, for me to bear more fruit for Jesus, I really need the economy to turn around so my job takes off because if I get more money, I'll give money to the church. That is not how a true disciple of Jesus thinks. I, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I'm not trying to make it personal. I don't know your situation. I don't know who gives what in the church. I don't. I don't have any connection to the finances of the church. I, I want to be clear of that. I want to stay in the word of God. But I'm going to tell you right now, if that's your approach, that somehow if things on the outside will get better, then you'll be able to bear fruit, you are not in the vine. you got to question it. you got to question it. 
Because a true disciple walks in relationship to Jesus, and fruit bearing has nothing to do with the outside. It starts on the inside. It's about a heart that's been transformed by God. They've been truly saved. Now they know that for me to live is Christ. And for me to die is even better. But I'm going to live my life in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to bear fruit for the Lord. Even if he prunes me. It just means I get to bear more fruit. Because I'm not walking in 2024 by what I see on the outside by how easy it becomes. I walk by faith. Remember when Paul spoke of the church in Macedonia? He was talking about raising funds to take back to Jerusalem for the church in Jerusalem because they had given all their properties and they had just given everything they had for the new believers that got saved on the day of Pentecost and the days that followed. There are all these people that were now living in Jerusalem who came from other places who got saved on the day of Pentecost. And so the, the, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem were taking them in and caring for them and pouring in. They were bearing some fruit now, but they needed help. And so Paul was going around to the churches and he was saying, in other regions, and he was saying, would you please give? I'll take the funds to the church in Jerusalem to help them and support them as they minister to these people. And he said this. He said, you know, many have given, but nobody has given like the churches in Macedonia. He said, they gave out of their poverty. They didn't have it to give. But they were so connected to the vine. They were so in the shadow of God, trusting in his word, that when they heard of an opportunity to help Jews in Jerusalem, they were compelled by the Holy Spirit to give what they had. And Paul said it was enormous. It raised up into a wealth of resource that he could take to the Jews in Jerusalem. See, it has nothing to do with the outside. Producing fruit is what happens inside of you because you are connected to the vine and you're trusting God every day. How you witness to people has nothing to do with the outside. The outside says if you witness, you're going to be laughed at. You might lose your job. You're going to be rejected, lose some friends. That's what the outside, but that's not what I'm led by in my desire to produce fruit. It's I'm in the shadow of God. He calls me to it. I'm going to be obedient to it. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to, when the opportunity comes, I'm going to broadcast the seed and know that most will reject me. Most will not be saved, but there will be one. As that seed goes out, somebody is ready to receive it because God's calling them. And I don't have a clue who the person is that God's calling. That's why I'm going to throw it on everybody. Don't pick and choose. The sower didn't. And Jesus is the one that told us that story. Just throw the seed. Be faithful. And watch God produce through your life, even through trial, through pain, through persecution. Watch God produce a harvest. In some of you, that's a hundredfold. In others of you, it'll be 60. In others, it'll be 30. But God's work will go forth. I, I, my prayer is that, yes, look back on 2023. There's always lessons we learn from history, if we look at history accurately and not try to change history to become something it's not. You know, look at the real history. Learn from it. Good stuff. But going into 24, it's not me making a lot of little changes. It's me making one significant change. In 24, I want to be a true disciple who lives in Christ, abides in Christ. And then let God do the pruning, let God do his work, and I'm going to bear fruit for him. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Lord, it's very possible that someone is here, maybe more than one, and they truly are not saved. 
Maybe they've thought that they're saved just because they attend church or because they hang out with Christian people and they've learned some Christian stories. They've learned a few Bible stories and now they just kind of think that they're saved. That's not how we're saved. It's not by osmosis. Salvation is the work of the Lord. It is by the calling of God that we are able to be saved. Father, those who you're calling right now to salvation, we pray that they would humble up, that they would see their sinfulness for what it is. It is keeping them from abiding. It is keeping them from bearing fruit. It is keeping them from an eternal change. We pray that, Lord, they would surrender to you in this moment by faith that they would cry out to you from their hearts and ask you to forgive them of their sin and recognize that if you are calling them, then you will save them. It's not by what they do that they're saved. It's not by going out and trying to produce fruit that we're saved. It's that when we are truly saved by God, we will bear fruit. I pray that for people today. I pray that they would even step out from where they are and come and just stand down front in front of one of our prayer partners, one of our elders that are coming forward even now. They would just stand with them and share that they have, they're feeling the call of God and that they are surrendering to Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength, the God-guided guts, to surrender their life to Christ who's calling them. And Lord, it'll be you that saves them and it will be you that keeps them. I pray that, Lord, those of us who are saved would allow you to bear more fruit by pruning us. That we would allow you to cut as deep as you need to that we might grow from it, that we might learn, that we might strengthen by faith and by wisdom of the word, we would be stronger because of it. Help us to look and have an attitude, the right attitude towards your pruning. And give you thanks that you love us enough that you would prune us so that we could bear more fruit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If the prayer partners would come and, and, and elders, if you today recognize that God is calling you, would you come and stand with one of them? It's not a prayer that we're going to pr pray for you. It's simply you coming and confessing. Some, it's good for us in public to confess when we have become saved. It's not a private thing. It's a public thing. By the way, the scripture says, if one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. So it's not private in heaven. It shouldn't be private on earth. Come, let us rejoice with you, okay? God bless you, church. Isn't it wonderful to be together as the family of God and prepare for the new year tomorrow? Go into it as a true disciple, okay? Abide in Christ. Walk in the shadow of the Almighty. He's your strength. He's your refuge. He's your fortress. He will see you through 2024, amen? And bear fruit, church. Let's be a, a fruit-bearing church for Christ, amen? God bless you.